What is up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of the Dense Pixels Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brad, joined by my co-host, Carrie. What's up? Dynamic duo pod this week, just the two of us, uh, which is great because I can talk about this fine piece of technology. Right you got here. that? I got a switch. You got that? OLED? Yeah, they don't like you to call it the OLED. Don't call it the OLED. It's the OLED. I was going to ask, like, have you been calling it the OLED? Because I hear a yeah. lot of people calling it OLED, and I know I, in my brain, I always read it as OLED. It's, it's well, I call it OLED because that makes sense to me. Uh, Nintendo's very specific as to not call it that. They, they very firmly say, do not call it the OLED. It is an OLED. Um, so I have to say, for something that is truly not a necessary upgrade for the Nintendo Switch and something that's mm-hmm. almost like a half measure upgrade, as we've talked about on the show when they first announced it, uh, yep. it's a really nice upgrade for the Nintendo Switch, I got to yeah. say. So, like, like, Nintendo did a good job of changing very little, but making the changes that they did make um, be very impactful on the system. Okay. Um, the screen is amazing. Uh, it it really is so like the 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 system itself is only slightly larger than the than the original Switch, um, but they reduced the size of the bezels significantly. So the screen is about an inch larger, and oh, wow. it okay. looks humongous compared directly to the other Switch. Like it's not that much bigger, but it feels um a lot bigger. And of course, since it's an OLED screen, um, the colors are really fucking dope like the colors look better now on this handheld system than it does when you put it in the dock which is weird um but as someone who uses his switch in handheld mode probably like 75 percent of the time mm-hmm. um it's a very nice treat for that uh the dock is much nicer uh it for some reason the the system docks into the dock uh more easily than it did on the old one. I don't understand how that is because it's basically the same design. It's just a little curvier, um, but it, it seats in nicer. Um, it's got a LAN port built in. So if you if you like running that wired Ethernet, uh, you don't have to buy an adapter or anything like that. Um, other than that, the system's like identical, though. Like like there's not. Oh, there's also this, which is. A fantastic upgrade, this fine, this yeah. fine kickstand, which makes it actually usable. Uh, in tabletop mode, like not like not only can you prop it like standing upright, but it, it goes back like this far. So like you can even lay it down where it's like almost flat, just slightly angled, um, nice and secure. Uh, it doesn't break off every time you fucking open the thing up. Uh, it lets them hide all of the like legal information uh, underneath of that. So you don't hmm. have to like stare at it all the time. Uh, still very much on the back of the joy cons. Cause they didn't change any of the design there, but uh, you know, take, take what you can get. Uh, but yeah, it's actually usable in tabletop mode now, which is awesome because my, on my old switch, the kickstand hinge uh, on the system itself had gotten so worn down that even buying a brand new kickstand, it would just basically pop right out if I even opened it a little bit, which was quite annoying. And the latch wouldn't like hold it in place when it was closed. Like it would slip out constantly. And that was a huge nuisance. Um, so having this is nice. But again, other than that, it's the same. Um, the internals are identical to the 
original Nintendo Switch. Um, this does have the longer battery life. Um, I have to admit that I haven't really noticed a huge change there because I like to play my games uh, somewhat bright anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did release a really good game to go alongside of this fancy new OLED system to take advantage of the super precise colors uh, that it can nail. And that is uh, Metroid Dread. Or as I saw someone on Twitter uh, uh, correctly call it, Metroid Dead. Am I am I right, everybody? Because <laughs> holy shit, uh, this game is actually pretty difficult in points. Um, it's a 2D Metroid. I don't really know what else to say. Like, like it very much adheres to that 2D Metroid formula, which is very fun. Um, it's amazing that Metroid in this day and age where, you know, the Vania side of that genre has definitely expressed itself more in terms of adding RPG elements. Uh, the few 2D, 2D Metroid games that have come out have kind of stayed the course on the Metroid design philosophy. And yet they're still always very, very good. Um, yeah. And and this is uh, – uh, Dread is no different uh, where the, the gameplay feels fantastic, um, plays like a typical Metroid level. It's uh, it's less hand-holdy than Fusion was. I know that was the biggest complaint that Fusion got is that it basically kind of pointed you and told you where to go all the time. This game is much more like Super Metroid where you have to use your map and kind of figure out where the next area to go is. Um the regular encounters on the game are fine. Uh, the boss battles in this game are stupid difficult, like like almost like Souls level. <laughs> that's that's what I've been hearing. Yeah, um, I've been hearing a lot about because it's like there's different camera angles and like it almost like every boss battle basically ends with some degree of a quick time event, and like if you don't hit that quick time event correctly you have to wait for it to come back around even if you've already damaged the boss enough which i don't love reading about that you know i don't feel like you should it's it's one thing if you can get off a big cinematic finish it's another thing if it's like oh if you don't nail this then even though you beat the boss you didn't beat the boss with the boss with the boss battles the timing of that window is very generous where it's not very generous uh is when you encounter the emmy robots that are the the dread in the game or they're supposed to be the dread in the game um in the game in each of the regions on the map there's a specific zone uh that is like the emmy zone that's patrolled by these uh these like spider like robots that that can go biped um but the thing is that they are invincible uh so if you encounter them uh there's a kind of a quick time event scene that pops up where you have two chances basically to prevent from getting stabbed to death and having to restart your uh your save uh and the thing is that the timing that the stab comes out to be able to block it is purposefully inconsistent. Like it's, it's not like there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's random. So like, you can't just kind of learn the timing. Um, it's going to fuck you up a lot. Uh, they, this was a big selling point for the game. The Emmys are actually kind of a nuisance more than anything. Like it's just an obstacle that you have to sort of stealth around as you progress through the game. Uh, the Emmys get, New abilities, like some of them eventually have the ability to see you through terrain. So like you can't like even if you're not in the same room as them, if you make too much noise, like they can still spot you and start chasing after you. Um, they're fine, much like any anything else in the game. So in Metroid games, like 
there is a power curve that happens where you you know start lap not very powerful and even regular enemies can be difficult to fight but as you gain more power ups you can just kind of run roughshod through everything. Like once you get the screw attack, I'm not even carrying stopping to fight enemies because I can just jump through them essentially. Right. Um, and the end, the Emmys are the same way. Like with the Emmys, once you get like the gravity suit and you know, they're not really a problem. Um, I'm on the final boss. So like I'm almost done. The final boss of this game is ridiculously difficult and the fight takes place across like four phases. So, uh, that's, <laughs> that, that's been exciting. um, the story's whatever, like it's typical Metroid story. Like these games are not really known for their story. It's all about the gameplay. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've always enjoyed sort of the greater lore about I, Samus and I like the, the lore Metroids of Metroid, but the way the story's told in the game is never satisfying in a Metroid game. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 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 I feel like you get more outside of the games than you do actually like in the the run of the mill area. Um. I like the area that it takes place in, like the planet that you're on is obviously you have like your typical biomes like you do in, you know, in most games like this. But uh, some of the non biome areas are kind of unique looking. Um, it's pretty cool. Like I said, it's it's a, it's a cool game. I like it. Um, it's really hard to say that this is like an instant $60 purchase for most people because it's a great game. But sure. I don't know. I, I do feel I like I, I feel like a title like Metroid coming from Nintendo is always going to be worth $60, um, particularly like an actual Metroid game as opposed to like Federation Force, you know. Yeah. But I, I do feel like the. The, the genre the, just comes such a long way. Well, right. There's then. that. It's it's the glut of these like really well done indie metroidvania style games that came out sort of in this what this like 13 year interim um where nintendo had basically uh, put metroid on hiatus and so you have a lot of really high quality similar style games that are available for like 20 dollars um and i guess what i'm getting at is maybe those games should be people should be paying more because yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like people have associated Metroidvania with a certain price point, And I don't think that that's fair to the genre. And I don't think that that's fair to the Metroid dread developers. Yeah. Well, and, and um, to, and to be fair, like this is, this is one of those experiences where not only are you paying for good game design, which you're getting, but you're also paying for top quality, like accoutrement as well. Like the game is gorgeous. Uh, there's nary a bug in sight that I've encountered. Uh, again, the switch is the system that does the most with the fewest resources always. And that, you know, helps when you're Nintendo and you can give your designers a design document to develop within the hardware's capabilities, as opposed to trying to push them to the extreme. And I think that always works really well uh, for mm -hmm. what they do. And, and Metroid is a case that's no different. Whereas, the fidelity is not necessarily the highest, but the boldness of the color palette and how the visuals look and how smooth the game is kind of make up for the fact that it's not in, you know, 4K <laughs> resolution, right. which would be yeah. a great it would be a great bonus. But it's not why I'm here. Like, I'd rather sure. have it I don't, look smooth. Who's playing a Metroidvania style game for real photorealistic graphics? I mean, I mean, come I on, mean, man. Hollow Knight looks pretty good in 4k i'm just saying but <laughs> but uh you know for for this game uh it's good but like i said i like metroid dread a lot um i'm really enjoying my time with the switch oled um again it's it's a hard thing to recommend 
that you go out and buy. Like, I think if you play your Switch regularly and you use it in handheld mode most of the time, like at least okay. like three quarters of the time, it's a worthy upgrade. Like, especially if you're going to go trade in your current Switch at like a GameStop or something and and help, you know, defer some of the cost on that. Um, it's a real nice upgrade. Uh, it just feels more solid, too. Like, I don't know. Like, every everything about it just is premium in a yeah. way that the regular switch isn't it's weird to say that because it's not like the regular switch is like a piece of shit but like no it, <laughs> it's a but, fine console yeah, but, but i understand what you're saying it, yeah, it feels like two. an upgrade in your hands even if it's not like the biggest difference maker yeah i mean that's if you can fucking find one though because i'm sure this right. is going to have the, the same supply chain issues like i only was able to get one because i have connections still <laughs> <laughs> game stuff that i was able to leverage so like i i play my switch a fairly decent amount um but I, I would say it's probably 75% in TV mode and I right. only play it in handheld mode when I'm like watching a sports game at the same time or if I'm like traveling or something like that. Um, and I still have like a day one launch switch mm-hmm. and I am very fortunate that I haven't had any issues with it. No dead pixels, no bad battery life like the battery life for me is just fine um but i also here's the thing i tend to run the screen pretty dim Mm -hmm. when i'm running in handheld mode um and i also haven't experienced joy con drift at all see i i had i had drift on i had drift on both my joy cons i had one i got one fixed by nintendo uh the other one was drifting again. I just didn't feel like sending it back in just because I was, it was just taking so long. Now, unfortunately, yeah. again, since the joy cons are identical, like that's not an issue that you're going to necessarily avoid on right. the new switch either. So but we'll see. I like it though. It's good. I'm glad, I'm glad I talked myself into, uh, into going and picking one up. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of holding out for a more substantial upgrade yeah. at this point. The, the, OLED, like, it's nice. I'm glad that it's good. I'm glad that people who, particularly people like you who tend to play more in handheld mode, are getting a substantial feeling of upgrade from it. But for me, I'm just, I'm going to wait. Yeah, it's, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend anyone go out and buy it. Like, it's almost (laughs) like, it's almost like a, a purchase of opportunity. Like, if you have the money and you happen across one. And it's something that would work well for you. Then it's it's a cool upgrade, but it's not something you have to go you know prioritize. I don't think. Yeah. Um. For me, as far as what I've been playing, uh, still still grinding that Final Fantasy fourteen wagon. Um, <laughs> but I I'm into I'm properly into the Shadowbringers expansion now. I guess I'm about twenty five percent of the way through that storyline, and I'm mm-hmm. really enjoying it so far. Um. Everything that I read about Shadowbringers, I mean, there are people who said that Shadowbringers is like the best Final Fantasy storyline since like the 90s. Like, Mm -hmm. they're like, this is the best thing that they've done in a long, long time. And based on what I've experienced so far, I'm kind of inclined to agree with that. It's a really good story. Um, Yeah. And, and to, be fair, Shadowbringers, of course, has to build upon everything else that FF14 had done up to that point as well. So is Shadowbringers good in a vacuum? Maybe not, but um it's it's a really good story. Yeah. And the game's really fun to play. And I like it a lot. I'm an MMO person now. I hate to admit. <laughs> um 
<laughs> are you an MMO person or are you a Final Fantasy MMO person? I guess I'm a Final Fantasy yeah. 14 person now. Yeah. I, I Honestly, like I said, I'm very excited to learn anything that I can about Final Fantasy 16 at this point. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. Fuck. I mean, after like after experiencing everything the creative team has done so far with 14, I'm just like, sign me the fuck up. I yeah. can't believe that I'm excited about a new Final Fantasy again. I mean, do you? Um, I mean, because it's, 15 it's literally, did nothing for me. Well, it's and that's the thing. Like, it's literally been a decade for me since I've played a new Final Fantasy game around the time that it released because I skipped mm-hmm. 15 because I was so bummed out on my experience with 13 that I was just like, ah, this doesn't look in. And plus like, like, you know, watching dudes bro out in a convertible, you know, on, on, on the, on the dusty road, wasn't necessarily it, scratching an itch for me. So no, yeah. uh, no, it did nothing for me. Um, but to, to go back to the sort of like high fantasy sort of realm and knowing the people who are involved in it, I'm just like, cool. I'm <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, I'm enjoying Shadowbringers. As a reminder, if you're listening, I play on Primal. So if you are listening and you're like, wow, I play Final Fantasy 14 and I want to party up and do some roulettes and whatnot, just hit me up. Happy to do that. So I told myself I was a DPS main and now I have a much higher level in my tank class. So I guess I'm a tank main now. So Every, you need hey, to tank. Hey, you know what? That you, you are you are providing the surface, uh the service that the market demands. That that is just uh It's true. I actually really like tanking. <laughs> I, I think I prefer tanking over DPS, honestly. That's that's just DPS smart, is fun uh, because haha numbers go up and it makes your brain chemicals feel good, but um tanking is just I don't know. It's a lot of fun. I'd imagine you don't have much trouble finding a game like when you need people to party. No. Yeah. Look, (laughs) the solo DPS queue in Final Fantasy 14 is its own special layer of hell. I have sat in solo (laughs) DPS queue trying to like because what I normally like to do is I'll I'll go through like a story dungeon. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm doing a dungeon for the first time, I prefer to do it as DPS um, so that I can learn it so that I can go back and then tank it later and know what I'm doing. but yeah, that solo DPS queue, sometimes it's just like, cool, I guess I'm going to be here for a half hour waiting <laughs> to get sorted into something. It sucks. But Final Fantasy fourteen is a good game. Uh, I'd like to talk before we get into new releases about a striking bit of news uh, this week that came out. Uh, and that is the big news coming from Eidos Montreal. Look, we are so uh, inundated with like doom and gloom stories, it seems like, in this industry, especially over the last several months, um, that this is a very uh, shockingly like great story uh, yeah. that still I'm going to I'm going to throw in an undercurrent of uh, trepidation underneath of it. <laughs> so Eidos uh, Montreal. Because, uh, of course, this could never happen in fucking America. Of course, it happened to happen no. in Canada. Uh, has decided uh, that their studio is going to be moving to a four-day work week um, to give their developers a better work-life balance. So they're going to have Fridays off in addition to Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, they're not doing four 10-hour days. Uh, they're going to still be doing eight-hour work days. Um, they're not cutting salaries at all. Like, they're not... Basically, they're just literally giving folks an extra uh, day off uh, because mm-hmm. a lot of studies that have uh, checked this out, especially in like Scandinavian countries that have tried this and things of that nature, have found uh, that employees, when they only work four days, generally tend to be more productive over 32 hours than they do over a 40-hour period uh, across five days because that's a lot of time to fill. So. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah. Also importantly, um, other time management stuff that they're doing, they are putting a time limit of 30 minutes on meetings mm-hmm. uh, and they are fully embracing uh, remote work and hybrid work. Um, so good. Yeah. Everyone should do this. Well, we'll see. Well, that, well, that, and that's every industry should do we'll, this. Well, we'll see because that, so like they're, I think they mentioned specifically that they're like trialing this kind of. Um, I mean, they're not advertising it as a trial, but I'd have to imagine that if somehow like deadlines significantly get pushed back or, you know, if, if they start suffering from things of that nature, um, they might consider moving this back. Um, I do. I am hopeful that other game development studios and other employment places in general kind of look to see what the effects are of this. And I don't think you're going to be, you know, rushing to see a lot of folks getting to the door to be the second and third studio to do this. Um, I think that a lot of people, especially larger studios, are going to take uh, a wait and see approach to see kind of what the effects are and. You know, mm-hmm. are they still able to produce games on a reasonable schedule and things of that nature? I don't know what they're working on uh, right now, aside from Guardians of the Galaxy or, or where they are with Guardians, because that's coming out very soon. So I'd imagine. I mean, that's got to be. I mean, Guardians comes out in less than a month or yeah. something like that. They're just those discs are being produced at this point. That yeah, game's probably, they're probably they're probably just squatting they're shipping it right now. So. Um, uh, this uh, article from Vice also notes that. Um, Indie dev Young Horses, responsible for Bug Snacks and Octodad, um, they previously announced a four-day work week. And um, basically their uh, president had said um, it's probably possible for larger devs to adopt the same model, but, Mm. quote, you have to have buy-in from the top and their goals, processes, and expectations have to be adapted to support that change. So, yeah, I mean, which makes sense. You obviously can't be like, cool we have one less day that we're working every week and everything else is staying the same like (laughs) no like (laughs) obviously that's not happening but uh yeah i mean i i hope i hope more industries do this i hope more companies do this i feel like um work-life balance is so important regardless of what industry that you're in and um you can absolutely be just as productive over the course of four days Rather than five, if you're not burning yourself out by um, Wednesday afternoon because you're tired because it's the middle of the week and you have nothing to look forward to because mm-hmm. you only have two days off. And I forget someone someone I read where it was just like the best thing about a four day work week is that you have a weekend where you have a day where you did not work the previous day and you won't be working tomorrow. <laughs> That's the best part of any three day weekend. Right. Is, is when is you get that, to that second day and you're like, oh, I that, still got that another day bliss off. of the second yeah. day of a three day weekend where you're like, I didn't do shit yesterday and I don't have shit I got to do tomorrow. I can just relax. Well, and I think I think the other uh, another thing that they might not realize. And when I say they, I mean other studios that aren't out of mm-hmm. Montreal. Um, this is going to potentially improve the studio from a talent standpoint as well because when they more have talented people are going to want to work yeah because like imagine like if some if, if they have a position open up and you're working at like ubisoft montreal or something or they're about mm-hmm. somewhere that's closer like you might try to get in there you know what i mean like that that's a much better gig um all the way around plus you don't have to as far as we know uh deal with incredible amounts of sexual harassment 
Uh, at, at <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> what, a, what a nice concept there. But uh, and that's, so that's I'm very curious to see like the long term prospects of this switch for them and just to see how it impacts the people that work there, people that come there, their production schedule, things of that nature as well. Um, I feel like at large we are sort of sitting on the precipice of of big changes as far as like how people manage a work life balance. Um I feel like this is this is indicative of that. Mm-hmm. Um I've heard of other companies and in other industries switching to that or switching the full-time hybrid work rather than forcing all of their employees to return home from the office because surprise the pandemic proved that everyone can work from home. I mean, not everyone. Obviously, yeah. a lot of people cannot work from home. People who have very hands-on types of work cannot work from home. But for those of us who have office types of jobs, we don't actually need to spend the gas, wake up early, spend two hours in the car commuting, driving back and forth from an office. And well, we're pr- productive at home because we're happier because we're not sitting in rush hour traffic being miserable every day. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. It's it's not just also you know, hybrid work. It's, it's the fact that I think, um, I want to say like the jobs report that came out most recently said that there was, um, about 10 and a half million jobs open in the U S right now, just because a lot of folks weren't coming. And, and most of the jobs that are open are jobs in like service industries and, right. and, and retail industries and things of that nature, because people, are fine like as a collective people because everyone who got told if you want to get paid more get a better job went and got better jobs right Uh, and 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 people are starting to realize their self-worth a little bit and mm -hmm. you know they're thinking to themselves like and and a lot of people will blame you know oh like it's because they're giving all this extra money for unemployment and that's like when they when states took that benefit away um there was not an appreciable change in in the amount of jobs that were available and so a lot of people are saying you know on unemployment, like I don't make nearly as much as I could with a regular job, but I'm a lot happier while I look for a job that's a little bit more fulfilling, that has better benefits, that has better pay, that's more respectable of my time. Where I don't get screamed at by Karens every day. Right. And where it's, I it's, make a livable wage. It's oh, just wow, funny because there's concept. been there's been a push to kind of like move more towards unionization again in this country. And the one and and I mean the only silver lining of the of COVID is that it might have kind of self unionized a, a lot a lot a lot of the lower workforce in a lot of ways in terms of like yeah. people that are working uh, like entry level jobs and things of that nature. So it's it's been very interesting to see that um, when you have fast food places that are offering like fifteen dollars an hour and signing bonuses and things of that nature like that says a lot about. Uh, the collective. Uh, it's almost as if you should have been doing that the whole time and you wouldn't be dealing with a worker right. shortage if you treated the workers you had with any shred of decency to begin with Absolutely. instead of treating them disposable. Turns out you, you run out of you, you run out of workers if you don't appreciate them. What a fucking concept. Absolutely. So. 100% correct. So it's very interesting story um, out of Montreal. So we will see how that affects things going forward. Um, there are a few new games that are coming out this week. Uh, Book of Travels on PC, Back for Blood, uh, on PC, PlayStation, Xbox. Saw an excellent tweet, um, from the KFC gaming account today. KFC has a gaming Twitter account. Who knew? Sure. Um, okay. 
where they it, it was something like with Left 4 Dead and Back 4 Blood side by side, and they said, "Oh, every generation has its cheap knockoff imitator that's not as good as the original." Not forgetting, of course, the fact that the the game was developed by the same fucking studio. But right. Let's not let's not, right. <laughs> let's not go there. Um. But the Turtle Rock Twitter account uh, replied to them, said, what, it's "Like what a shame! Like eleven herbs and spices and still no taste." <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, uh, excellent clapback from those guys. Um, Popeyes is better anyway. Say again. Popeyes, Popeyes is, is better anyway. 100%, 100% correct. Uh, Disco Elysium Final Cut comes to Xbox and Switch. I didn't realize it wasn't on Xbox. It was apparently only on PlayStation and PC. Uh, Ori, the collection, comes to Switch. A Little Golf Journey comes to PC and Switch. Despot's Game comes to PC. Uh, God Strike comes to PlayStation and Xbox. That game's probably terrible. I don't know anything about it, but just for the title. Sounds awful. Uh, Jackbox Party Pack 8 comes to everything. Uh, Ruin Raiders comes to PC and Switch. Sphere Flying Cities comes to PC. The Crisis Remastered Trilogy comes to PC, PlayStation, and Xbox. Demon Slayer, the Hikonami Chronicles comes to PC, PlayStation, and Xbox. The Good Life comes to PC, PlayStation, Xbox, and Switch. And Story of Seasons, Friends of Mineral Town comes to PlayStation and Xbox. Yeah, uh, that's the remake of the old Game Boy Advance game. Oh. And it's really good and people should play it. God Strike has an art style that explicitly looks like it's ripping off Hades. That is not surprising. It's a twin stick shooter and it is uh not getting good reviews so yep, you were spot on you were spot on <laughs> look when, when when you've been uh when you've been in and around this industry for as long <laughs> as we have you can usually spot them just from the uh just from the titles yep uh well if you want to talk about god strike or any other garbage coming out you can do so by joining our discord uh, you can head to densepixels.com slash fans, and that will take you to the official Dense Pixels podcast discord where you can hang out with us, talk about whatever. We got channels for non-gaming stuff, too. If you want to talk about wrestling, we got wrestling channels. If you want to talk about uh, football or F1 racing, we've got channels for that, too. Um, hang out. It's a, it's a good time. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to all of the other TNP Studios podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, including the Nerdpocalypse podcast, Black on Black Cinema, Coming Distractions, and the weekly preview episode of Look Forward. And uh, a lot of those shows are available on YouTube, including ours. So you can head to youtube.com slash densepixels, or you can watch the Nerdpocalypse on YouTube. I don't know why you would want to when we are obviously, <laughs> obviously the most attractive podcast host on this network. Um, I'm going to get shit from Jay. Uh, and uh, don't forget about our premium content. We have a full premium slate of shows. That's just $5 a month or $50 for the year. And that gives you access to all of our premium content, including the airing of grievances, no time to bleed the moment, with the golden tongues, uh, my musicals podcast, upstage conversation, which I'm hoping to have a new episode out this month. Cause um, Jay wants to rip into Rocky Horror Picture Show for some reason. Um, <laughs> and you can also catch full episodes of the Look Forward Political Podcast. So I thought uh, I out. thought that was generally uh, beloved Rocky Horror Picture Show. I am so I haven't watched the movie Rocky Horror since I think I was in high school. Mm -hmm. um, I'm intimately familiar with the music, having played some of it in like pep band in college um but yeah so Ro rocky horror for me like 
I feel like the people who are into Rocky Horror are like really into Rocky Horror and everyone else is largely indifferent. And I think Jay is one of the few who just fucking hates it. So <laughs> seeing, seeing as it is spooky season, I am hoping to get that episode done and out in time for Spooky Ween. So uh, a very quick, <laughs> very quick update on the Activision uh blizzard fiasco um we talked about last week how they settled uh with the u.s eeoc for the tune of 18 million dollars uh for its affected employees uh in a investigation that they had sexually harassed discriminated um and uh, discriminated against folks and retaliated against folks for reporting on the behavior um apparently the california department of fair employment and housing uh, who is also investigating uh, Activision Blizzard uh, is objecting to the settlement because the settlement could harm the case that they're building against Activision Blizzard um, mm -hmm. because the terms of the settlement is that it would require employees to release Activision Blizzard from claims under California state law, which was not widely reported i don't think uh, no i don't believe it was. first broke which is interesting yeah um i think that's i think that's fair for them to object uh they said that their pending enforcement action will be harmed by uninformed waivers that the proposed decree makes conditional for victims to obtain relief so basically if employees want to get something out of this fund that the settlement is founding then they no longer get anything out of this other suit that's ongoing. Yeah. So that's sort of fucked up. Just a bit. Um, that's, <laughs> uh, I, and it kind of explains why Activision Blizzard was so fast to run to the, uh, the table with the mm -hmm. original settlement if they knew that it would get them off. Because the they mean that yeah. they had sort of maybe snuck that in there. And of course, Activision's response was, we are committed to making Activision Blizzard the most welcoming, inclusive, and safe workplace possible. No, you're not. <laughs> no, that's a fucking lie. You're clearly not. You just I don't, don't know. want they to do, get sued into the ground. They they do have that former uh, Bush Edvin lady who's like, this isn't the company that I that I'm familiar with that I've worked at for like five months. So right, we'll see. Activation Blizzard is ensuring a workplace free from discrimination, harassment, or unequal treatment of any kind. Did you fire all the fucking assholes responsible for this shit? Because if you didn't, then you're not insuring anything. I mean, they're continuing to work on that at least, which is which is a good thing. So, like, I mean, obviously, folks. I want to see them continue to work on this, but yeah. I hate this PR speak of like, oh, we just we don't want we want a workplace free from. Uh, it's just like, shut up, just stop. <laughs> I'm so tired of it. Uh, Twitch continues to find itself in in difficult situations. So last week, uh, a massive data breach happened where a 126 gig torrent uh, was uploaded to 4chan uh, and the leak had a lot of fucking stuff on there. Um, here is a uh, here's a list of things that were in this in this thing that leaked out. Um the entirety of Twitch TV, uh, all the way back to its beginnings, like all their data files and things of that nature, um, mobile desktop and video game console Twitch clients, uh, proprietary SDKs, uh, every other property that Twitch happens to own, 
Um, an unreleased Steam competitor from Amazon Game Studios was in here. Uh, Twitch uh, Red Team tools, which were on there. And creator payouts dating back to 2019, which was a very it's, interesting uh, bit of news to find. To yeah. Out. So what's what's interesting is is that the, the people who did this hack um, very easily since they got everything from twitch they very easily could have fucked over a lot of people by releasing emails and passwords and whatnot but they didn't do that um which is nice and it seems that this is (laughs) this is the smallest amount of benevolence from (laughs) it's it's nice of them that they didn't do that uh if here's the thing if you're listening to this and you have a twitch account and you haven't changed your password yet you should you uh, should go and you should you should do that. Also, anyway. re- also enable two uh, FA if you have not done it yet either. Because yeah. that's also kind of a big deal. Yeah, for sure. Um, they did but, reset everyone's stream keys as well. Yeah, email, that too. So. Yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so the the post which contained all of this leaked information also included the hashtag Do Better Twitch hashtag. Um, which uh, seems to indicate that this hack is the result of people being fed up with Twitch not doing anything really to combat hate raids and, and stuff like that, which is what the do better Twitch hashtag um, well, and, was and, created. And not, and not only that, um, one of the interesting things that we saw and the reason why uh, streamer payouts was an interesting bit of information is, where, is we've discovered that the vast majority of people that make like significant amounts of money on twitch all generally have one thing in common and that is that they're white men yeah in general Mm -hmm. and people started really looking at especially some of the female creators some of the creators that are that are people of color who were high up in the income earnings and kind of comparing how they were promoted on like twitch's main page and in suggested streams and things of that nature and finding that Twitch really isn't doing a whole lot to lift up any particular communities. Like they're just kind of letting the algorithm kind of run with it without really mm-hmm. tailoring, you know, recommendations no. or, or providing a boost to channels that maybe could use a little bit more signal amplification and things of that nature. So, yeah, um, the payouts thing is interesting for me. Um, I saw some people, particularly regarding Critical Roles payout, because I think they were by far the top earner, which shouldn't surprise anyone Mm -hmm. that they're it's like oh they've made like 9.1 million dollars dating back to 2019 um and it's like "Mm mm-hmm and like (laughs) that that shouldn't come as a surprise um i think some people are seeing these numbers and are like oh these people are making millions and millions of dollars and it's like matt mercer is not pocketing 9.1 million dollars based on his fucking D &D game no he's got a whole whole fucking team of people that well that's (laughs) that's exactly it is and that's the case with a lot of these top earners is that they have a production team behind them in some form or fashion, yeah. whether it's people literally running their board or their cameras or mod teams that get paid and stuff, some fashion and stuff like that. Plus all of these numbers reported are like pre-tax. So I still have to pay taxes. Um, that old, that old, uh, that old, that old little chestnut there. Right. It's like someone did, the math for the critical role team and was like, okay, if we're just taking like the actors and we're doing this and we're accounting for taxes, it basically boils down to each of the primary people on critical role has made like 
roughly $65,000 a year since Mm -hmm. 2019 based on Twitch streams. And that doesn't account for any of their production staff. That doesn't account for any of the equipment that they have to buy. That doesn't account for the numerous people behind the scenes um, who are making the figures and all of this stuff. Um, But it's like 65,000 in LA is not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's not poverty wages, but it's not, you know, they're not living large based on their fucking Twitch streams. And I feel like, I, I saw this like this really weird response to some of these Twitch payout numbers because I feel like it made people realize that these people are not your personal friends, that they're a company providing an entertainment product. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I well, don't I mean, like it, it, it is and, and nor nor should they be begrudged for that like like no, if, if, you're, if you're if you're doing a good job and providing a service that people like then yeah fucking a get paid like it's right. like it's more power like, to i'm not i'm not a massive critical role fan i appreciate what they do um but they they provide multiple hours worth of entertainment every single week for free mm-hmm. for listeners and people are upset because it's like Oh well, this isn't just a friendly little D and D game. It's like, when did they? When did <laughs> when, they promote when, that it was? When was it ever? It might start. Matt Mercer is not your started that way, but it's you know, it's growing right. into a legitimate like, business. Like it's not you know. Laura Bailey is not your party member. You know, like it's just people. People with Twitch, especially, you get that weird like parasocial interaction between the people running the streams and the listeners. And I know there's been some deep dives done into that. Kotaku actually did a really good one a couple of years ago where literally this viewer like showed up at this dude's house and was like, we're friends. Right. And it's just like, no, like, <laughs> it's because you watch someone's Twitch stream every time that they stream, even if you give them money, even if you're a longtime subscriber, that doesn't mean that you're friends. Yeah. Um, and I feel like these numbers being put up by a lot of these big streamers, like, it's, it's finally starting to click for some people that these people are not their close personal friends and that's making them upset for some reason. Yeah. But well, it, I mean, it's no different than watching a TV show and like assuming that you're like besties with the actors. And I'm sure there are people the it, that it do that. It is different yeah. than watching a TV show because you do get that level of interaction. That's true. Sometimes. You can, you get you those can good, comment and you get those good brain chemicals yeah. when the streamer, when the streamer reads the message that you left with your donation or you see your name pop up on your stream or something like that you know it's It's, it's fair point it's fair point yeah so but yeah it's um i just don't understand how all of this data could be kind of just left out in a place where people could get it and again i know it's not easy to get this stuff but you're fucking amazon man like (laughs) like like this shit should be under lock and key like what the hell so uh, I'm happy they didn't leak out any of the pertinent subscriber information or any of any of the uh, you know user yeah. details. Like that would have been pretty shitty. Um, but yeah, just another uh, another black eye for Twitch in what's been a uh, a non-stop brigade of them. Yeah, it's been. I mean, like I so said, they're we're they're finding themselves in the news quite a bit for all the wrong reasons here, um, which is very unfortunate for them. But uh, like I said, hopefully they can get this shit sorted out, and hopefully they can maybe be thrust to the public, you know, the public, public, I can't talk today. The servicing of these numbers to like, <laughs> I could say publicization or publicization. Um, 
to maybe seeing how their promotion practices work and, and what streamers that they're propping up on main pages and things like that yeah. as well. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, a fascinating story. So I there's a, there's a story on Eurogamer. The title is The Big Interview, EA, FIFA, and Loot Boxes. Um, it's an interview that Wesley Yinpool did uh, with EA's – let me see if I can find his uh, – his title, EA's chief experience officer, Chris Bruzo, uh, speaking about Ultimate Team. It was about a half an hour interview. Uh, Wesley and Poole posted the interview in full on this article. Uh, I would highly encourage you, if you have time, uh, to read this whole thing because we're not going to dig too deep into the story. I wanted to talk about it because I'm – I read it today and I found EA's defense of loot boxes – to be incredible. And I don't mean that like in the like, wow, that's amazing kind of way. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm dumbfounded that this is the angle of approach Mm -hmm. that they're willing to take. So the, basically the first question that, that was asked is you had loot boxes in star Wars battlefront two, which was a high source of controversy. It made the game pay to win essentially. And yeah. you guys realize that you fucked up and you reverse course on that and, and fix that issue. However, they persisted in your sports game, specifically FIFA in this case. And essentially, like, these loot boxes are still pay to win mechanics. Like, it's st- even though you're getting a random pool of stuff, it stands to reason that the more packs you open, the better team you're going to have. And EA kind of laid down a lot of their typical defenses. Like they talk about how FIFA is a skill-based game, which it is like, like if someone that is bad at the game has a 95 rated team against someone who's good at the game with an 80 rated team, the, the player who's better is still probably going to win. Um, Cause you know, talent can only get you so far. But the, th- the other thing they said is that it's important that loot boxes are in the game. And the reason that they said it is because they truly believe their motto of EA sports it's in the game. So like if a re- so like because in real soccer a team to make themselves better can go out and pick up like a superstar player and and throw money at that player to to make their team better their players should also be able to do the same thing in their fake you know fantasy trading card game that they've created for FIFA. That that option should exist. And then, like, Wesley and Poole asked the, like, the the logical question is that, well, that's not the same thing. Because it's not like like when, you know, Tottenham Hotspur goes out and spends, you know, $10 million. Right, they don't spend $10 million on, on five randos. Yeah, like, like, they know which player they're getting. And in FIFA, like, it's always a random pool. And they've taken steps to kind of... Uh, be more transparent, like like they have the percentage chances now of what you know how good of a player you're going to get. Uh, this year they instituted pack previews where you can see the best player that's in, like a, a player that you're guaranteed to get if you buy this pack, or you can buy this random pack that you don't know what it's going to be if you don't like the player that's there, and then you can wait four hours and then it'll cycle a new guaranteed pack. Um, <sighs> but yeah, so basically that was their excuse is that. You should be able to do this because that's how sports is in real life. Uh, they that's kept not also how sports is in right, real life. <laughs> and then like Wesley and Poole also said, like you know when I'm playing someone, 
on FIFA. How do I know, like, the person that I that I see this has a super team? Like, how do I know that this guy, like, grinded his way to be having this amazing team or that this player just spent a shitload of money? You know, like, like, how do I know what I'm going up against, like, based on what I see? And and he's like, and, and they kept going back to this other statistic that they threw out, whereas that nine out of every ten ultimate team packs are paid for with in-game coins right. that you earn and not not the FIFA points that you buy. And but he's like, OK, great. But what if the what if it's the one out of ten that that I happen to be up against, like that I'm playing? And he's just like, you know. And and well, it's important that players have choice. Like players should be able to do this if they want to, um, and things of that nature. I like, don't inherently <laughs> disagree with that. Where if players do that, they should be allowed to do that. Um, but I feel like people should know if someone's like spent a fuck ton of money. Like there should be some indicator of mm-hmm. this was paid for with like real money bucks rather than yeah. fucking EA coins. Well, and, and he talks um, about like, you know, kids getting into it and, and they and they talk about, well, you know, we no one under eight, the age of 18 should be paying money in FIFA. Like, that's not what it should right. be. And then they and, advertise in a children's magazine. for Right. Fans. I mean, yeah. that's a fuck up on their part. Um, right. I do think that, like, he specifically said kids should not be spending in our game. Children should not be spending in FIFA. And it's like, well, they but they do. And it's like. If kids are spending money on video games, whether that be in Fortnite or in FIFA or even on like Twitch subs and whatnot, um, at what point do we say the parents should have some degree of responsibility in what their kids are spending all this money on? <laughs> like, yeah. if you know, I'm not a parent, so like I don't, I don't know, I don't have this frame of reference, right? But like, I I keep seeing stuff. I, I hear criticisms of certain female Twitch streamers where it's like, oh, well, they're preying on children. And it's like, how are they preying on children? It's like, oh, well, they get money from kids. Why do they get money from kids? Yeah. Because their parents gave them their fucking credit card. Like, you can't always like, I am not pro loot box at all. I think loot boxes are a shitty system, especially when you can buy them for real, actual, valid government currency. But there's got to be some degree of responsibility from the adults in this situation, right? Like no one's forcing children to spend money. So we this this show has a long and story history, long and storied history of being pro uh, parents. Be aware of what your kids are doing kind of stuff. So, like, I don't disagree with you. However, when it comes to things like loot boxes and FIFA. And things like, and this is not just a FIFA exclusive thing. Like this is true of gotcha games. Like this is true. I think of, of all, all of gotcha nature. games, any form of loot box, yeah. it's like it's specifically formulated to like push that button in your brain. Yes, that releases the good brain chemicals um, because it always like lights up and it's like woo woo woo, and like you get the sparkles and the jingle and the fun music, and then you receive something right but do, um, but do you know what this reminds me of it's gambling. It, it, remi- it reminds me of the kind of like fl- you know flaccid defense that like the camel cigarette company offered up in the 90s as to why they needed to use a cartoon camel 
in all of their advertisements. And seriously, because like like Congress like I remember seeing Joe Camel as a kid. <laughs> yeah, like con- Congress said to them, like you are advertising this towards younger people. And it's getting, like, teenagers to want to smoke. And they're like, nah, it's bullshit. And they're like, you have a fucking cartoon character advertising your product. Like, like that's literally what you're doing. And that that kind of – I feel the same way with Ultimate Team is that kids aren't – parents do need to take responsibility for what their kids are doing and should be aware of what their kids are playing and how they can be taken advantage of in situations like that. I full wholeheartedly agree with that. But when you're advertising – loot box and FIFA ultimate team it's like a fucking slot machine like i know i yeah, know you've never it is. played it is FIFA. a slot machine i know you've never played fifa before carrie but literally all when you loot open, boxes are slot machines right but but just just to give you the idea of how it works fifa and, and most loot boxes work in a very similar fashion in fifa you open the pack of cards and like they have this like like little like video that plays with like this on-screen graphic and like, you know, fuck, especially if you pull a good player, like this confetti explodes and the player's avatar like comes out on the screen and the crowd goes like it's literally a fucking slot machine. Like it like yeah. the rea- like the the winning mechanic is exactly the fucking same. And it's 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 a very disingenuous argument to be like, oh, we're just putting these in here because that's how real sports is. And that's right. how FIFA that's has to be. That's a dumb counter like, argument. That's, that's not how, argument. One, that's not how real sports is. Yeah. <laughs> um, two, loot boxes are, I feel like, inherently vile. Like, I I don't think it necessarily matters what game it is. I yeah. think all forms of loot boxes that rely on I mean, fuck, you fuck paying sake. actual real money dollars. Fuck it shouldn't be it shouldn't be an option. It'd be one thing if you could only buy loot boxes using the in-game currency. Yeah. And and that's, that's not even thing. like it they're still frustrating sometimes anyway. Like I'm playing fucking Hot Wheels right now and you can only buy loot bo- I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Hot Wheels Unleashed is really good. You should all play it. It's fantastic okay. if you like arcade racing games. But like right, they right. have they have blind boxes in that game as well. And I'm get- and you can only spend in-game money to buy them and i'm getting pissed off because i'm pulling duplicates constantly with cars that I, with cars that i've already gotten and th- and that's within just completely in-game mechanic as well like the the mechanic sucks but i agree with you that if if you're going to insist on having them fine but a only b- do it in-game money and b anything that you get out of them should not be used in a competitive gaming environment like hot wheels yes you're getting cars and some cars will be better than others and you can race online with them and all this other stuff but it's fucking hot wheels like it doesn't matter yeah. fifa is a serious fucking it's an industry like it's an actual fucking business an actual fucking industry and encouraging people and and especially people like i'm not worried about like people like me who you know when i play fifa like it's for like maybe you know four or five hours a week like that kind of thing like i'm talking about the people that put in like 30 hours a week, 40 hours a week in FIFA, maybe around that. And, or maybe just below that tier to being like able to get like into like the semi pro or pro ranks of FIFA. Mm -hmm. And like, those are the people that are going to be encouraged to just fucking throw money at the game because the pros don't need to worry about that shit. They're gifted coins out the wazoo by EA and they play the game so much. They play it like it's a full-time job that they can navigate the transfer market and they'll have the players to get whatever the fuck they want. They don't need to worry about it. But the people that are trying to break in, those are the people that I would be very concerned about throwing a shitload of money at the game and just kind of bankrupting themselves to chase that thing that they're close to. 
And again, EA is not doing anything to discourage people from, no. from participating in that. Like, let, let me be clear. I do not think EA is remotely in the right as yeah. far as this is concerned. I think their system with this is fucked up. Um, I do just think this whole like, this whole like, but what about the children sort of sort of thing that people tend to take with stuff like this? It's like maybe monitor what your kids are doing online. Maybe don't let your kid have access to your credit card. I, like that. Well, now now I'm gonna. I now I already know the show title, and I already know the image I'm gonna use. The hell of love joy. Please, won't somebody think of the children? Won't someone think of the children? I mean, like I I've had to have this conversation with my cousins who all have young kids, where it's like a couple years ago, um, one of them ran up like $75 buying fucking V bucks or whatever on Fortnite, And I'm just like $7,500. No, $75. Oh, Jesus Christ. Like I heard, I heard a hundred no. after that. And no. And like, here's what? the thing. I told him, I was like, one, that sucks Two, I've heard way worse. Like I've heard way worse. I'm like $75 is nothing compared to what I've heard of people doing. But I'm just like, do you have, you have parental controls on your system so that your 10 year old son doesn't spend money without you knowing about it and he was like no and i was like why not because because that wouldn't have happened if you had used the stuff that's built into the system so yeah i don't know i just loot boxes are bad but also like know what your kids are up to i'm like i'm not a parent but isn't that part of like the responsibilities of being a parent it is and and again i i i think i hope that our generation will be much better equipped uh to deal with kind of these technological uh oh that's a for sure yeah Yeah. like none of my older cousins like grew up with video games really or anything like that so they don't necessarily have the same sort of frame of reference but um Anyway, if you want to buy something for your kid, you can do that by going to <laughs> densepixels.com slash Amazon and bending over for Daddy Bezos once more. Um, but if you do it through our link, which is, again, densepixels.com slash Amazon, we get like a little, they skim a little off the top and they give it to us. And that's sort of cool. Um, I mean, very sincerely, fuck Jeff Bezos. I hope the next time they launch him into space, he doesn't come back. But, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to consume under capitalism as we all do um do it in a way that benefits your friends at dense pixels <laughs> <laughs> that's right you you can't avoid capitalism so you might as well just no, give money no. spread your spread your money and make sure it ends up in the hands of the people that look like there's the no most. such thing as ethical consumption under capitalism but this is a this is you know <laughs> You help us out. It gets you. It gets you three to four percent closer. And on that note, on that note, we go to the dense pixels post office. We're going. I'm. I'm. I'm quickly. Uh, I'm vamping for time as I scramble right, cool. to open Discord. Right All right. Now. Cool. I will go ahead. I'll start reading. Uh, first question. Questions come from Daniel. Uh, Daniel asks, "Did you ever beat a game start to finish in an arcade?" Uh, I one of my fondest childhood memories was and you might be too young for this there there you might be so there there used to okay. be an arcade in Garrison Forest Plaza I don't know if you were alive when that existed it might have party been, on pizza maybe I don't remember what I don't remember what the establishment was called did it did it have a rock of fire explosion band in it like the animatronics I don't think so okay because when I, I was a kid so. there was it it when I was a kid it was called 
party on pizza uh-huh. and it had previously been a showbiz pizza place so it had a rock of fire explosion band in the back uh-huh. um but it was largely an arcade so i have very fond memories of um it, that might it, it could have been pizza. the place i i know i was there once ever so uh okay. it was a friend's i want to say eighth or seventh or eighth birthday party and of course, in the arcade, the coolest thing about going to a birthday party, a kid's birthday party at the arcade, is that all the machines get put on to uh, free play, which yeah. is great because you're renting out the arcade. So me and three friends all teamed up uh, to play and beat uh, the Simpsons uh, arcade game, which was nice. the first time that I'd ever done that. And it was a lot of fun. We played for like, uh, I don't know how long it took. It took a little bit, but uh, I distinctly remember uh, playing the Simpsons arcade game to completion. Was it the, the buildings like that's now the Party City over there? No, it wasn't that. It was. Um, okay. I, I think it was more on the right side, more towards the Safeway side of the shopping center. Okay. So, like I said, it's been a very long time. Yeah. Very long All time. right. Uh, and then uh, for me, he asked, I like anime, but only for the ridiculous wall-to-wall action. Do you have recommendations for a series that are light on story? I might get to enjoying the storytelling someday. Um, if you really like good action. Um, just watch Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. I tell everyone to watch Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Start start with season one. Um, it's it's all on Netflix. Um, I think it's both subbed and dubbed on Netflix. But um, particularly the first like three seasons are basically like all about the stupid action and not so much about the interesting story. There's like vampires and shit, but whatever. <laughs> uh, Cam asks, "Will there ever be a console launch that doesn't suck for the majority of consumers?" No. Um, no, there will there will never be a console launch that will meet the initial demand that there will be for it. It, it just won't be um, just to say nothing of right now, just because the, the launch right now is amplified by the fact that there's just chip shortage all over the country since uh, COVID with this thing. But yeah. it's just there are. In, unless they took like literally a year to manufacture before they shipped and sold. Um, they would literally, it, it's just impossible to manufacture enough consoles to meet the, what the demand is going to be. And it doesn't benefit them to take a year to ship and sell when you can take three months to do it and then ship and sell more three months later and then ship and sell more three months later and so on and so on and so on. So yeah, yeah, it'll always suck. It will. It just, it just yeah. is what it is. So agreed. Uh, Casa asks. Harry, at my partner's suggestion, I've begun watching Utena. Thanks to video games and anime, I can hand wave a degree of veni, veni, venias in music to raise the dramatic states. That said, have you got any insights as to what is going on with the lyrics in the show? I can't connect the dots between the Cretaceous period, the Cambrian period, Ammonite, and a dramatic sword fight beneath an upside down floating castle on a flower shaped platform with questionable structural integrity. Shrug anime. So Utena, great. Uh, Utena is like my all time favorite series. I love Utena a lot. Um, no, I can't fucking help you with the lyrics in the dual songs. <laughs> I actually have some of them up right now. Um, like, sure, I could sit down and do like a master's thesis about how all of the lyrics and all of the dual songs are a reflection of where Utena and whoever she happens to be dueling sort of are at at that point in the story. But no, like, I can't, I can't explain to you the lyrics of Paleozoic within the body, which is the second dual song in the series. Um, I don't have enough time for that, but keep watching you tonight. It's really good. Um, 
I don't know what the fuck J.A. Caesar was on when he was writing all of this music, though. That was 120 seconds of words that I understood literally nothing of. Sorry, sorry <laughs> to the listeners. I, I do think everyone that is. Watch that, I mean, that's fair because you put up with a lot of yeah. a lot of wrestling and, and nonsense <laughs> talk that we had to let you get your animation in every now and then. So, uh, Stephen asks, with the global supply chain struggles this year, do you think that there will be much in the way of Black Friday sales for physical electronics due to the lack of inventory? There may not be enough incentive for them to mark down common sale items compared to previous years. So just to give you guys a little peek behind the retail curtain, um, the way Black Friday specifically works is a lot of times places will get product in in advance of Black Friday and then sit on it, essentially. Like so because since they're advertising sales and there's since this is they're usually advertising having stuff in stock, um, they can't afford to make it available for sale before then. So like this happened with the Nintendo Switch where you know, at GameStop, we would get Nintendo Switches in a pretty decent amount um, in advance of Black Friday. This is when the system first came out. They were really hard to get. Um, but since we advertised that we would have it on sale, uh, we made sure that we held back like a dozen. Like it wasn't very many. You typically right. were only going to get involved if you were there on a doorbuster, but we typically held them back. Um, some consoles and PlayStation was most famous for doing this because uh, they did like the Black Friday bundles for the last couple of years. Um, some consoles are actually street dated. So like even though it's a PS4, like when they bundled in like, hey, it's a PS4, but you also get like The Last of Us and God of yeah. War and, and this and the other thing. Like those were actually uh, street dated for Black Friday. So like we right. literally could not sell them before then. Um, uh, as far as like availability, I think that the availability – will be generally the same. Um, again, a lot of companies have been doing their ordering with the knowledge that there's a supply chain shortage right now and that it's tough to get stuff shipped from overseas or even produced overseas right now. So, like, I think they've been planning on this. Um, so you will see a similar amount of inventory, but don't expect it to be, like, bursting at the seams. Like, it's it's still going to be difficult to get a PS5 this holiday. It's still going to be difficult to get a Switch OLED or an Xbox Series X or maybe even the new, uh, you know, the new iPad or, or this or yeah, anything. Like, it's, 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 it's going to be tricky um, to get some of the things that you might really want just because that's what the distribution chain is right now. It's And it's right. every industry. Like, my, my industry I, that I work in has been dealing with it, too. So. I think you're going to see the same sort of deals advertised as you see every year. Um, I just, I I don't know that the supply is going to be there. Um, yeah. But they're definitely going to market the shit out of them because all they want, all they want is for you to get your butt into the store. It doesn't matter if they're sold out of the OLED switch. Your ass is in the store because you were looking for one, and yeah. now you're probably going to leave with something else. Like, like the only the only deal that you're going to get with Black Friday is that like so like lately, like all the retail locations have been selling like when they do get PS5s in, when they do get switches in, they've been selling them only as bundles. The mm, only yep. deal that you're going to get is that you'll be able to buy them separately for whatever yep. stock that they have. So mm -hmm. that's it. I think you're going to see a lot of software deals. I, oh, 100 percent. I just don't think the 100%. hardware is going to be there. Yeah. Uh, Trey asks if you guys could have any American studio make a game based on your fave or most like anime, whom and what would it be? Hashtag mouthful of toast forever. I'm not bringing that show back, but I appreciate the moral support. Um, I don't know. They made a fucking, there is an Utena like visual novel made for the Sega Saturn back in the nineties. Um, 
I actually own it. I have I own a legitimate Sega Saturn game. Um, it's in my house. I don't have a Sega Saturn. I'm never going to play it. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know. Um, yeah, it's tough. Like the the JoJo fighters that have come out somewhat recently. Um, and when I say somewhat recently, I mean within the past decade. Um, those have been fun. I I would almost like a JoJo, and it's not. I mean, this isn't an American developer. I would like a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure like Muso style game. <laughs> I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, I don't know. I can't think of an American developer I would want to make an anime game. Uh, Akira. You even have a favorite anime? Akira, I guess. I don't know. Like, that's the only one I know. It's the only one I know. So. Wow. <laughs> Ghost in the uh, Shell? Like, I don't know what any, what any of these things are. So Yeah. Uh, Film Wanderer asks, what's a Castlevania game that deserves more respect from fans and critics, and why is it Lament of Innocence for the PlayStation 2? Uh, it's not. The actual answer to this question is the Castlevania game that seems to somehow fly under the radar despite being the best of the 2D side-scrolling not- metroid style castlevania games and that's Mm -hmm. dracula's curse i never hear anyone talk about dracula's curse maybe maybe that's just me missing the discourse but dracula's curse is a fucking amazing game and i feel like it does not get the respect like castlevania one gets a shitload of respect uh castlevania or super castlevania gets a shitload of respect and then i feel like then maybe like Rondo of Blood gets some respect. But other than that, I I don't think anyone talks about dracula's curse Curse, i think is only um People only really recently started picking up on Dracula's Curse since it was the basis of the of Netflix, the, the Netflix series. Show. Yeah, it's it's got the best music. It's got it's the first Castlevania game that had multiple playable characters in it. Like it's got it's got um, divergent paths for an NES game, which is insane. Yeah, um, fucking great game. Like I don't I I don't understand how Dracula's Curse how it's how its virtues are not sung from the mountaintop. That is the correct uh, answer. Obviously, Castlevania 64 is the most underrated game, and that's because it has a character named Carrie in it. There aren't many there aren't many video game characters named Carrie, but Castlevania 64 has one of the few. Um, uh, Vic Bear asks, how do you guys time manage for your gaming? As I'm getting older, I'm finding it harder and harder to find the time to game between work, kids, my nagging wife. So I'm going to... Side note, don't say that about your wife. That's not cute. Um, Some wife's nag, though. Old man naps and 10 hours of wrestling a week. I can only squeeze in an hour at most. I'm literally still playing games from 2017. I'm so far behind. You guys are just as busy as I am. So how long are you guys playing on any given day? And where do you find the time? Um, Well, one, I don't don't have kids. So, (laughs) and I'm not going to have kids. So that takes that that frees up a lot of my time. <laughs> so for things that I actually want to do. <laughs> so for me, um, I have discovered that as you get older, um, especially as you have kids and as kids require, you know, as much attention as possible, um, you have to trim your hobby tree. Like you have to really like trim things down to the things that you want to do the most. Um, for me, like I kind of. I, I was doing way too much 
with like content creation and stuff like that. And since I got the new job like a year and a half ago, um, I haven't really been doing uh, the watch YouTube channel just because it was so time consuming and I didn't really have the time to do it because I used to do that on my day off during the week that I had where a kid was in school and wife was at work and I was at home all day and I could crank out a video like it was great. Um, now it's not easy to do that. Like I actually get to see my family on the weekends, which is great. And I like spending time with them. Um, I, I just book time for it though. Like there are some days where, you know, I'm just feeling it. Um, I, I usually play a lot after my kid goes to bed. Like, cause usually we're winding down anyway, cause it's around eight thirty nine o'clock. So the wife is, you know, watching her programs and I'll play video games for an hour or two. And, and that'll be that thing. And I try to find, you know, a block of time, at least one block of time on the weekend. Um, that I can play for a decent amount of time. So like, I would say that my gaming gets in there between 10 and 15 hours a week. Um, I'm also a gaming multitasker. Like I'll listen to games while I'm listening to podcasts or while I have wrestling on the other monitor, like I'll have PlayStation on one monitor and wrestling on the other. And I'll half pay attention to wrestling because right now that's all you need to pay attention to wrestling because with the quality of product that's been going out there. So like yeah. I, I try to multitask as much as I can as well to get as much, uh, as much content absorbed into my brain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if there's like a big game coming out that I've really looked forward to for a long time, I'll straight up take a day off of work. Like, yeah. I've done that before um, too. Absolutely. Like so. for, for me, like I'm, I am very spoiled in so much that I work full time from home. Um, and so like, I have that extra, you know, 45 minutes to an hour before, you know, where I would otherwise be commuting. Um, I, I can literally just close my email, open up final fantasy. And it's just like, cool. And now I'm here. Um, I'll do it on my lunch break. You know, it's, it's whatever I'll have days where it's like, all right, it's like four 30 and I done what I needed to do for today. So I'm just going to roll straight into a game or, or something like that. Um, so yeah, I spend a, a lot of my free time gaming because I don't really have many other responsibilities outside of work. Um, I work, I, I have my band, I have my orchestra. Um, I do spend a lot of time arranging and whatnot and, and doing my sort of like music hobby sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't say I have to like schedule time for it, but as a happily child free adult i i don't have to like schedule around making sure kids get to school or to daycare or making sure homework gets done or shit like that you know yep so very lucky and and the other thing too is like like me and my wife don't have to actively be doing stuff together all the time like we enjoy just being in each other's company so like i'll be playing my switch on the couch and she'll be playing her switch or reading a book or doing something and just being around each other sometimes is is enough like you know yeah, i mean be actively watching a tv show or a movie or anything like that so if you're if you're watching this on youtube you can see that my husband's desk is behind me and um yeah like so- we play final fantasy together like we we play monster hunter together um but we've got our own games and we have our own online friends that we do stuff with so so it's no, chill. it's it's not easy. It's not easy. But like I said, if you dedicate the time, if you find the time and commit to yeah. the time, then you can do it. It's so. it's about prioritizing what free time you have and uh circling back to an earlier point, having a healthy work-life balance. <laughs> and I feel yep. like part of having a healthy work-life balance is making sure that the life portion of that is balanced between the people who need that time from you and what you choose to do and what free time you have. 
Um, I mean, it's it's tough if you've got a kid and you should be prioritizing your kid, be being a good parent and whatnot. But um, I don't know. Everyone needs time to themselves. And what you choose to do at that time is up to you. Um, Johnny asks, after seeing how much people are making from the Twitch leak, is Micah going to step up and make this show some money with a just chatting channel for those ASMR perverts? <laughs> he fucking should. That lazy he bastard. should. I mean, he could just like narrate books. <laughs> just just read, read whatever children's book he's reading to his kid. Yeah, da- Dan- Daniel says he'd subscribe to Micah just narrating things. Yeah, as well. So, as if Micah would share any of that Twitch money with us, though. I mean, come on, let's be real. <laughs> he would not. He would. He would like. We'd be like, Yo, where is it? And he'd be like, I spent it on this game that I'm not going to play. <laughs> <laughs> just well, wait. Just wait till Mike is back next week, and we can uh, harass him about what he has been playing. Yeah. Because he deserves to be harassed. He does. He, he deserves to be harassed because he's now being hypocritical against himself. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll leave that for, for later on. So, uh, Finally, from the post office this week, Jamal says, Recently, Best Buy offered PlayStation 5s locked behind their new Total Tech membership, which costs $200 a year. What are your thoughts on this after a year of console scarcity? And Brad, if they offered this for an Xbox Series X, would you consider it? To answer the second question first, uh, fuck no uh, is the answer to that question. Um, so listen, I, I I accept the fact that in a situation that we are in right now with issues with the supply chain and chip shortages and this or the other, that retailers are going to bundle these consoles up into uh, into soft bundles, essentially, because for the again to peel the curtain back a little bit, um, the the margin, the retail margin on a brand new PlayStation Five, Xbox Series X, Switch Slim. is. I, I'll I'll give you what it is. It's five percent. Okay, it's five percent. So so for every for every dollar that they sell a new console for, uh, the retailer's taking home a nickel. That's it. Um, so if you're selling a PlayStation Five for five hundred dollars. Then the retailer in that in that deal is only making um, I can't do math right now because it's bad. Uh, they're making twenty five bucks. Sorry, that, okay. that, that's yep. that's the math there. So it does Best Buy, GameStop, Walmart, Target, whoever, Amazon, no good at all for you to go into their store to just buy an Xbox Series X or just buy a PS Five and nothing else. So yep. they're going to bundle those things with things that you have to buy uh, in order so that they can make some money off of the sales since the product is scarce right now. I accept that and I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it when the service or when, when the things that they make you buy are relevant to the thing that you're buying. So like if they force you to buy an extra controller, a year of PlayStation plus slash, you know, game pass ultimate and you know, a game or two that they get to choose. Like you don't get to choose the game, but they bundle a game or two with it. I have no problem with that. If you're making people pay $200 for your shitty fucking tech support service that you're providing so that they can get their shit fixed for a year or they can get a discount on TV mounting because apparently, like, they're incapable of doing it themselves or any of that bullshit. Like, if that's the service that you're going to bundle in to force people to have this service to be able to purchase a PlayStation from you. Go fuck yourself. Like, come yeah. on. Like, like, like that, that's, that's some fucking very anti-consumer 
friendly bullshit. Like GameStop's not even requiring, to my knowledge, they're not even requiring that. It's not like you don't even have to have a pro membership to buy this thing. And those are $15 for a year. Right. This is $200, $200 for a year of shitty Best Buy Geek Squad support. Like that's what you're fucking paying for is, is this. So let's let's see what you get. Let's see what you get with this. I'm I'm on their total tech support uh, page on oh. uh, on there because I, I'm good on you for looking it up because I wasn't going to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm on this page. Uh, here's what you get with this fucking shit service. Uh, you get remote virus removal, antivirus software, remote antivirus software installation, remote PC tune-ups. You don't think you don't even get to go in the fucking store like they just do it over the internet. Uh, you get a discount on tv mounting and audio setup you don't even get that shit included it's you just get a discount on it which by the way they charge two hundred dollars to come to your house and mount your fucking television get the fuck out of my face like you must be out of your damn mind and then uh you get a discount on smart home services so again uh if you need them to set up your wi-fi you get half off on that which is normally a hundred dollars you'll pay 50 if you need them to install you know your smart doorbell or wireless cameras like that's so basically, you're paying you're paying two hundred dollars a year to get a discount. Yep, that's what you're doing. You get a discount on repair services. You get a, you know you get inter- This is horseshit. Like oh my god, like I cannot believe that they think this is a good PR move. But I'm sure people are buying it because what choice do they have? Like like if they really want the system, yeah. If you're, you're going to spend a premium anyway on some guy on eBay, like I guess you might as well give it to Best Buy and get a shit service for it i suppose yeah, uh, i don't like that's this something no i don't, I, I don't like it at all no no i mean no i was i was gonna say like well maybe if it's just they get like first dibs but it's just like but then they're gone anyway so. no i don't like i don't i don't like this one bit no. i at like least i looked at it and i don't care for it it's horseshit i don't care for it Not well that's it for the post office yeah. Thanks. So. Thanks to everyone who uh who submitted uh after I put out my fucking APB for <laughs> for it earlier today. Uh a lot of lot of interesting questions this week. Really appreciate it. Um and again, that's on our Discord. So that's densepixels.com slash fans to have access to the post office. It is. And, and uh, um, don't forget uh to Go all around the TNP Studios car wash. Uh, subscribe to all the TNP Studios shows wherever you get your podcasts. Go to youtube.com slash deadpixels. Hit the subscribe button to us there. Uh, head over to twitch.tv. Uh, hopefully your information won't get leaked. Uh, you can follow <laughs> Suppets Carry. Uh, you can follow Apparition 410 to see what Terrence is doing. You can follow me at Dense Pixels Brad. Uh, and Carrie, yep. we are only... We're less Three than a month away, away yeah. from my extra life stream, so uh, I'll try to drop that, drop that link in uh, in the Discord again this uh, this week. Uh, every little bit counts. Um, all of that money goes directly to uh, help the kids at the Johns Hopkins Children's Center in Baltimore. So it's a great cause. I'm playing Fallout New Vegas this year, and maybe a little bit, little, little bit of some other stuff too. Uh, I do want to set up the stream this week. I was going to last week and then the hack happens and I was just like, I don't want to fucking touch Twitch right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that got postponed. Uh, and yeah, and uh, don't forget to uh, follow my band. We're called QuickSave. We're on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and all these terrible websites. 
And um, yeah, I'm working on some new stuff for Quicksave. Um, I'm working on the main theme from Paradise Killer, working on some Splatoon 2 stuff, uh, working on some Deltarune Chapter 2 stuff. And this morning, I finished an arrangement of Eye to Eye from a Goofy movie, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> you also have merch now, too, I saw. Uh, we have stickers. If you want a sticker, <laughs> I'll send you a sticker for free if you're following us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. I will just mail it to you. Um, but you got to show me that you're doing all three. But <laughs> I, li- yeah. I like the logo. It's a, it's a cool logo. Who designed it? Thank you. Uh, my friend Lauren designed it. So big ups to her for doing that for us. Um, we have a we have a good look about us, I, I like to think. So hopefully we'll be booking some shows soon. Awesome. Well, and maybe we're working is... on an album. Hey. Mm-hmm. Very so. cool. So uh, that's it for us this week. Uh, thank you guys very much for watching and listening. We'll see you next week for episode number 400. Yo, 400 is next week. We're not doing anything special. So. We're not. We're not. <laughs> I'm just like, that's a big number. It is. It very much is. We've been so. doing this. We've come a long way from the uh, palatial apartments and... <laughs> Palatial Ground Force Studios, yes. Yeah, Palatial Ground Force Studio <laughs> at Micah's apartment in Baltimore. <laughs> so that's it. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. See ya.